Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Daily Roundup on this, a Thursday, November 9th, 2023. I'm David Menzies and my co-host. Well, before I get into all those details, let me tell you something, folks. Do you know that today is the birthday of Christopher Keith Irvine? And you're saying, who dat? Well, he's better known as Chris Jericho, a.k.a. Y2J. And I just thought, you know, my co-hosts like me were big wrestling fans, especially of the wrestling back in the day. And some 23 years ago, Chris Jericho made his debut in the WWF, as it was called back then. And it was one of the greatest debuts, I think, maybe the greatest in professional history. You see, folks, at the time... Um, there was the whole Y2K mania. People thought as soon as the clocks went to 2000, planes were going to fly, fall out of the air, elevators wouldn't work, etc. It was a big scam. It was a scam of the last century. So for months on end, the WWF was playing a countdown of Y2J. And people are going, Y2J? And it went on and on. And finally, it counted down to zero right during a promo by The Rock, which didn't go over well. And I can't play the whole 10 minutes, but I'll play the um, the final two minutes of the back and forth of Chris Jericho and The Rock. It, I'm telling you, it is money in the bank, even 24 years later. It still makes me laugh out loud. Let's roll it. Thank you. Tonight will never, ever be the same again. Y2J, did he say Y2J? Yeah, I heard it. the rock is dumbfounded. He's an arrogant young man. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> After three boring minutes, the rock says... <laughs> come on the rock show and not even have the class to introduce yourself what is your name i told you it doesn't matter what your name is the rock says you talk about your y2j plan well the rock has a little plan of his own and it's called the KY Jelly Plan. Oh no! Which... <laughs> you know what that is, JR? Yeah. You do? <laughs> you don't clean you don't use it to clean pipe, JR. Which means the rock is gonna lube his size 13 boot real good. That some bitch sideways oh. and stick it straight up. You're getting it in. <laughs> That's a delivery. <laughs> you know, what an excellent piece of TV. 
it is very hard to do live TV. I know me and David make it look easy, <laughs> but it is very hard to do live TV and be clever and on the ball like that. And man, you got to give credit where it's due. Wrestlers are excellent at this. Oh, especially back then, the so-called oh. Shades of Grey era of the WWF slash WWE, Sheila. But, you know, it's uh, it's kind of funny, too, because I love the Jerry Seinfeld observation about professional wrestling, which is this. If it didn't exist... How could you possibly invent it? I mean, the oh. idea of 300-pound men in bathing suits and construction boots jumping off the ropes of a ring, you know, it's just, how did it ever get to this point? But, you know, um, I think we need, people might be saying, oh, why are you wasting our time with this uh, levity? Well, you know what? I think the world needs more levity these days, Sheila. Mm -hmm. These are very depressing times, given the state of the world. And uh, like I said, this was perhaps the best introduction ever of a new wrestler coming into the company. And they played off each other so well. And that's another thing. The sad thing about wrestling today, Sheila, I don't know if you uh, share my observation. Um, the mic work is just not what it used to be. Yeah, they've got these G.I. Joe action figure, superbly fit wrestlers, but when it comes to the likes of The Rock and Stone Cold and Y2J and Mankind, you know, I would argue Mankind, a, a brilliant wrestler with the mic, I don't think he could get hired today at the top yeah. level of wrestling. He doesn't have that wrestler's physique. They're 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 obsessed with physiques right now for some reason. One of and the best guys, one of the best guys on the mic that ever existed, Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> um, you go to like Dusty Rhodes, circa nineteen eighty, work in the mic. Good gracious, was he ever good? And that is a guy who would not be hired today yep. because he didn't have the right look. Yeah, but just absolutely excellent. The American dream, just <laughs> perfection. Dream. You wanna you wanna lose two hours of your life? Start looking at old promos um cut by Dusty Rhodes, and all of a sudden you'll look away from your phone and it's like, where has the last two hours gone? I'm thoroughly <laughs> entertained and time just flew by. But anyways, theme time flying by. We should tell everybody what we're doing here because uh, the hour quickly gets away from us if we don't. Absolutely. Thank you, Sheila. Anyways, yes. Uh, out of context, Dusty Rhodes on Facebook. <laughs> my One of the best finds ever. Um Anyway, this is the Rebel News Daily Roundup. It's hosted by a rotating cast of characters. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's David, sometimes it's Ezra. Um, but as you know, we'll talk about the news of the day, completely unscripted or even like, for example, not news. <laughs> like what we just spent the last seven minutes on. Um, but you get to see your favorite Rebels in um, their natural element, digesting the news or in some instances, 30-year-old pop culture. Um and it gives you the opportunity to get involved in the show. So if you're watching us on the censorship platform of YouTube, okay. Uh, there are 1.6 million sets of eyeballs over there. We don't want to abandon you. We, we're grateful for you. But might I suggest you migrate over to a platform that doesn't really care about your politics. There is Odyssey and there is Rumble. And on either one of those platforms, you can leave a paid chat that helps democratize the show, gives you your say. And if it is over $5 US or more, I'm obligating 
myself and David to read your chat on air. It's a great way to support the show because we'll never take a penny from Justin Trudeau and take it in your own direction. But don't let that $5 um, be the barrier for participation because uh, frequently we read chats that are under that amount. And sometimes even if you're clever enough or if it tickles Yankees fancy, um, he'll put an unpaid chat in the thread so that we will read it on air. But uh, I think that's it. Uh, lots to talk about today. Uh, let's get into it, David yeah. Menzies. Wow. Talk about a punchline just dangling over home plate. Uh, Yankees fancy. <laughs> but I dare not I know. <laughs> you know, I well, we... <laughs> turn from, in a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> from professional wrestling to perhaps another... Um, thing of uh, pomp and circumstance, which is hard to pin down. That would be the climate crisis, or is it the climate this. emergency, or is it the climate catastrophe? Sheila Gunn-Reed, you know, can they actually get the terminology straight? And by the way, is there something beyond catastrophe? I guess uh, maybe climate pandemic. Apoc apocalypse? apocalypse. Apocalypse, thank you. I think that would be the ultimate, it's, yeah. But it's, apparently- it's scare. The climate scare, the climate scam is what I would call it. But anyways, you go on. Yes. And I see here um, the buzzword title here is scientists warn earth warming faster than expected due to reduction in ship pollution. Well, Sheila, um, a bear of very little brain like me can't connect the dots here. Can you help me out what they're trying to say in this CBC article? <laughs> and you know what? It's James Hansen. So uh, <laughs> take this for what it is. This guy is, um, I think he's the guy behind the hockey stick graph that was so debunked. Oh, my um, God. And he's showing his face in public after that? I think it is. Anyways, <laughs> um, the past five months, again, when you think about when you truly, truly think about this, you have to think about how outrageous the claims are. You cannot come to any other conclusion. The past five months have shattered global temperature records, taking scientists by surprise. Really? You told me the Earth is going to end every day. So <laughs> why are you taken by surprise? Um Many are asking why. A new study published in Oxford Open Climate Change by renowned U.S. climate scientist James Hansen suggests one of the drivers has been an unintentional global geoengineering experiment, the reduction in ship tracks. So as commercial ships move across the ocean, they emit exhaust that includes sulfur. This can contribute to the formation of marine clouds through aerosols known as ship tracks, which radiate heat back out into space. However, in uh, this is great. However, in 2020, as part of an effort to curb the harmful aerosol pollution released by these ships, the International Maritime Organization imposed strict regulations on shipping, reducing sulfur content in fuel from 3.5% to 0.5%. The reduction in marine clouds has allowed more heat to be absorbed into the oceans, accelerating an energy imbalance where more heat is being trapped than released. So I'll cut through the jargon here. Because there are fewer particulates being emitted <laughs> by cargo ships burning bunker fuel, which is actually, if you care about this sort of thing, a huge emitter. But because they've reduced the real dangerous particulate emissions, as in sulfur, um, fewer uh, 
less carbon and less pollution is actually now driving climate change, according to these people. Um, so really, every, like everything causes climate change, more pollution, less pollution. It's all going to spell the end of the world. And the only thing, the only thing that you can do to stop it, pay that carbon tax, buddies. Pay it. Uh, you just have to pay your tithe to the climate gods. That's the only thing that will stop climate change because whether or not you have higher emissions or lower emissions, it doesn't matter. The climate gods are going to kill you unless they get their sacrifice. You know, this is unbelievable, Sheila. Um, <laughs> the way the blackface liberals sell the carbon tax, it's a tax on pollution. I remember six years ago when Climate Barbie was in Toronto and she was at the Music Hall on Danforth. It was just when the SNC scandal was um, uh, breaking, so they had to do distractions. And I remember her coming on stage, and I swear, folks, this is what she said. Hands up, everyone who's against pollution. Well, you know, that would be 100% of all reasonable people on planet Earth. Um, so we're paying the carbon tax as a tax on pollution. We see by this article that the uh, bunker fuel pollution has gone down, but the climate emergency is worsening. So, uh, Sheila, I can't make sense of any of this. Um, what are we supposed to do tangibly other than what you said, uh, pay more carbon taxes as if that helps with the climate? As if any of this is measurable anyway, by the <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. Like there's no such thing as a global temperature. You can't even take the temperature accurately in your backyard. If you mm -hmm. put, and Friends of Science did an incredible experiment just to show you how crazy it is when they tell you you have to keep the global emissions below 1.5 degrees of increase or whatever. You can't measure the temperature in your backyard. If you put five uh, thermometers in your backyard just in different locations, you would get wild variations across the board. Now, they want to tell me that they can judge the temperature of the surface of the earth across multiple microclimates, across different topography, um, different levels of humidity, um, in deserts, across different elevations, that they can somehow measure it all, come up with an average temperature, and then tell you how much carbon you're allowed to burn to stay underneath it, it's bonkers. It's yeah. absolutely insane. But um, it doesn't matter anyway, because even if you reduce pollution, apparently it causes climate change. You know what, Sheila, as I mentioned, Y2K was the scam of the century, meaning last century. This this climate change hysteria is the scam of this current century, and there's no shortage of hucksters making out like bandits uh, as they proclaim the sky is about to fall. And by the way, I did mention the blackface liberals and uh, speak yeah, of the speaking devil. Speaking of hucksters. <laughs> yeah, there, there's the biggest crew. <laughs> and uh, speak of the devil and he shall appear. I believe we have a video clip of uh, blackface in parliament yesterday. He's talking about what makes Canadians afraid. You know what I think makes the majority of Canadians afraid these days, Sheila? I would say making the mortgage payment every month, uh, putting food on the table. Inflation. Yeah, having <laughs> enough money to put gas in the tank, you know, to bring the kids to school, to commute to work. I think that's what's making uh, most Canadians afraid. Oh, no, 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 that's okay, Jack. What's making Canadians afraid right now is... 
climate change? Here, check out Blackface himself. I have to admit I'm a little worried for the leader of the opposition when he has to stoop to bringing up the separatist boogeyman to try and scare Canadians. He must be running out of material. The fact of the matter is, Mr. Speaker, Canadians are afraid of climate change. They're afraid of the extreme weather events. They're afraid of the concerns we have about a brighter future. And what we are doing is fighting climate change every day while we build a stronger economy with greater careers, while we support Canadians every single day with the high cost of living. This is what we're delivering. He has no plan to fight climate change, no plan for the future of the economy, no plan for Canadians. I... Uh, Sheila, sure. this blackface <laughs> is saying no plan for the economy. This is the same prime minister who said the budget would balance itself. I still don't know what that means. And everyone I've ever asked that question to, including diehard liberals, can't explain it either. Uh, but Sheila, the idea of, you know, Canadians going to bed at night and saying, oh, you know what? Today it was 1.8 degrees above seasonal I'm so worried. Oh, God, please do something about climate change. Is that happening in any corner of our globe, especially amongst those Canadians who aren't living in the basement and are gender study students and have no responsibilities, but, you know, the Canadians that are working hard to make ends meet, which is getting increasingly hard right now? Yeah, the only people who care about this stuff are professional students who are currently lobbying their Starbucks franchisee where they work uh, to put the, I don't know, the latte machine on solar. Like, I, I don't know who actually cares about this stuff. With inflation out of control, and it's in down the entire supply chain, people are worried about how they're paying their bills. They're worried about if they're able to qualify for a mortgage, paying the mortgage, young people who are have real jobs or at least looking for a real job with tangible skills, they're worried about never, ever, ever being able to afford a house and a car and a child yep. simultaneously, which is something that our parents or even my generation, I hate saying that, um, we can afford and that it's still in within the reach of young people in Alberta, but in liberal strongholds, it is no longer within the reach of young people. And that should actually scare the liberals. That should be the thing keeping Justin Trudeau up at night and not climate change. Nobody cares about climate change. You're told by the TV that you should care about climate change. But really, is it anything that you think about at all, especially as we approach winter? Give me a break. Yeah. And, you know, Sheila, the only thing blackface missed in terms of uh, liberal talking points, I'm surprised he didn't work, work in the LGBTQ2S plus community. Islamophobia. Yeah. <laughs> and Islamophobia <laughs> for that matter. I mean, and all I can think of if uh, if the temperature rises continually at the gay pride parades, those members who uh, take off all their clothes and simulate sex acts in public in front of children, uh, they might get to be too much of a sweaty Betty. Or if the climate uh, plunges, I guess we're talking about major shrinkage going on. So either way, uh, climate change for that community, I'm sure, is uh, front and center. Like I said, can't believe uh, he missed mentioning that demographic. But um, from blackface to, well, perhaps one of my favorite uh, politicians in our great dominion these days, that would be none other than Alberta Premier Daniel Smith. And uh, to show she's got a 
good sense of humor and that she's a good sport. Well, uh, she joined. Uh, this hour has 22 minutes. <clears throat> Why not? She and all of us are paying for it, being a CBC production. So uh, let's take a look at this video about uh, the Trudeau Liberals carbon tax carve out, as they call it, for Atlantic Canadians, something denied to all other Canadians, even though blackface says a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. Oh, it's all so confusing. Let's see what Daniel Smith has to say. Oh, my God. Daniel Smith, Premier of Alberta. This is very exciting for me. As a Newfoundlander, meeting the Premier of Alberta is kind of like meeting the Wizard of Oz, because there's no problem in Atlantic Canada that can't be fixed by moving to Alberta. And, you know, as a comedian, you're kind of my favorite Premier, because sometimes you do kind of crazy stuff, whether it's blowing up the CPP or talk about Alberta sovereignty. If you were to separate... What would be on the flag? Would it be the wild rose or would it just be one of those F. Trudeau flags? Anyway, if you could ask Justin Trudeau for one thing and actually get it, Premier, what would it be? Well, you should stay out of Alberta's business and stick to federal <laughs> jurisdiction. I think that's what the Supreme Court said and that's what I'd love. Can't do that. But what I can do is this. <laughs> I can give you this heat pump. We're giving out all over here in Atlantic Canada. And I think if you accept this, then it'll be even steeper. What do you say? They don't work in Alberta. We get below minus 25. I don't think they're actually going to work. It's from the Liberal government. It's not going to work. <laughs> you know what, Sheila? She's a good sport. That wasn't bad. That wasn't yeah. bad for Mark Critch. Usually he's insufferable. That was fine. It was, and uh, I think uh, sh um, Premier Smith gets the last laugh. And besides, since you are a, an Albertan, uh, Sheila, what do you think about that, um, replacing the current Albertan flag if uh, separation <laughs> comes to fruition with the F. Trudeau flag? Hey, I'm down with that. <laughs> you, you know what? He His jokes were fine. Like, they're fine. It's true. That is something that people... You would probably see more of those flags out here, depending on what neck of the woods you're in, than a Canadian flag these days. So, yeah, it was fine. It was fine. I was expecting, like, more mean-spirited um, because I did not all that long ago watch This Hour is 22 Minutes just to remind myself that it exists. And it was it was just all of them just unfunny jabs at Pierre Polyev. Yeah. And, and nothing directed at the liberals. And I thought like it, comedians it used to speak truth to power. Yeah. But not in Canada when the comedy is government funded, which is bizarre. You see the same thing on Saturday Night Live. I mean, if ever there was yeah. a president ripe for parody, it's uh, Joe Biden. Uh, but I'm told because I haven't seen Saturday Night Live for years now. Uh, he's kind of a sacred cow. Although I believe uh, a week or two ago, they did take a jab at him about something. But you know what? Uh, nothing like um, a robust debate when you have factual information. And what I liked about that, uh, Sheila, I'm no uh, expert in the HVAC department, but I understand, as Daniel Smith said, he pumps right. don't work for literally millions of Canadians. And yet, what is the narrative? I, I can't listen to radio on my way home from uh, Rebel World Headquarters without some utility um, talking about uh, getting some government uh, rebate to install a heat pump. Well, 
I think you better do the math first and find out if you're in a part of the uh, country where a heat pump in winter ain't going to pump heat. Yeah, I mean, again, this is just the liberals forgetting that the prairies exist at all. <laughs> like, like if they're giving out <laughs> subsidies to get a heat pump, this is a subsidy that nobody on the prairies can qualify for. This is directed at um, urbanites in Vancouver, Toronto, maybe um, the East Coast once again. But this is just the liberals like completely forgetting that whole middle part of the country that votes blue, anything but uh, Justin Trudeau. I. There was something I wanted to point out. Sorry. Uh, no, go ahead. And then we'll just move on because I'm oh, going to put the also, production team on the spot. They are in the business of setting unrealistic goals when it comes to the so-called climate change or man-made climate change. For example, Sheila, uh, by 2030, which when you think about it, isn't that far away. It'll be here before you know it. Supposedly, 80% of federal vehicles are supposed to be EV. So as we head into 2024, what is the number right now, folks? 3%. I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and when you cherry pick various um, uh, departments, uh, Canadian Border Services Agency, for example, I believe the number of vehicles they have is 1,010. Um, how many are EVs? 12. That means 998 are fossil fuel burners. What I'm saying, Sheila, is I don't think this goal is going to be achieved. And we see various jurisdictions like in Toronto where we have EV ambulances being pulled off the road because they're unreliable. New York City, EV snowplows, uh, they're being mothballed, uh, again, because they're not reliable. But do you think that in the space of just over five years, 80% of federal government vehicles, Sheila, are going to be full EVs? Uh, no. I, I love the uh, ability to just call up data in Alberta. Um, right now, uh, motorized vehicle registrations by fuel type in Alberta of 3.6 million vehicles registered for the road. In Alberta, we have under 10,000 that are fully electric. I'm guessing those are mostly government vehicles because nobody else buys that. Um, and they're probably bought in, in the NDP years. Um, but those also might be municipal vehicles. You see those like city of Edmonton, like I'm fully electric. Great. I don't work in the winter. That's what it says to me. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, hybrids, there are uh, 43,000 hybrids on the road. So I wonder if the Canadian or if the Alberta public is actually achieving a higher percentage of electric or hybrid vehicles than the federal government. There's I one other. I'll have to crunch the numbers. And when you do, Sheila, because I speak from experience here. Um, I bet you do. Well, <laughs> there, <laughs> there's, there's the full-on gas-powered vehicles. There are hybrids, as you mentioned, but... Pay attention to plug-in hybrids, mm. which some people will classify as a full EV. Now, I own a plug-in hybrid, and I can tell you I get maybe about 40 or 45 clicks of electric travel. And then the rest of the tank 
is gas. I'm not ready to make the separation. And, and by the way, if anyone's saying, oh, well, how could you uh, buy a green plate plug-in hybrid, Menzies? Well, it's easy. I live in the GTA and I get to use the HOV lane as a single driver. That's my motivation. It's nothing else, folks. And that saves me so much time. And time is indeed money. So um, when you do crunch those numbers, find out if a hybrid or, a, or rather if an EV is a plug-in hybrid, which means that it's not really a genuine EV at all, Sheila. I'm just going to bulk number the hybrids and the electric and then do that as a proportion of the um, total registered vehicles. I'm curious. We might be actually achieving a greater target of electric vehicles. <laughs> I mean... I don't know why you would in Alberta, but somebody is buying these things. But we might be, us dirty Albertans might be doing a better job at going green as far as our <laughs> transportation system goes than the federal government. Um, before we move on, I'm going to put the guys on the spot for a second. Um, I don't know if we talked about it yesterday, but uh, the mainstream media in Alberta is losing its marbles because Danielle Smith is doing a sit down with Tucker Carlson. Oh, I love and, it. <laughs> and it's like, she's talking to whoever wants to talk to her. Yeah. That's what the premier of the province is supposed to do. She's the premier for all Albertans, not just the statistical rounding error that watches Mark Critch on this hour has 22 minutes. <laughs> she just did CBC. Now she actually wants to talk to more people as in the people who watch or listen to Tucker Carlson. So she's going to have a little sit down fireside. I think it sounds like fireside chat with Tucker Carlson. And uh, she's very interesting to Americans because she's the most freedom-loving premier who is prickling against the constant tyranny of Justin Trudeau. And Americans are often very interested in Justin Trudeau's tyranny. She was elected as um, a reflex against the tyranny that was happening here in Alberta. So, of course, she is international news this beacon inside this dark dark country at this moment and of course tucker carlson wants to talk to her and so what are the mainstream media journalists doing in this province oh bad idea danielle bad idea I've, it's <laughs> remarkable to see these other journalists saying to a politician don't talk to that don't talk to this bigger journalist than us because, ew, that's gross. Uh, you know what, uh, Sheila? Two points on what you just said. First of all, thank God Tucker Carlson cares about Canada because— uh, Yeah, as, someone's got to. Yeah, as important <laughs> as Daniel Smith is, I mean, there's so many— Americans and American journalists that are very insular looking and, you know, Canada is just that big blob of pink landmass uh, north of the border on the, in those geography maps. Uh, but Tucker Carlson, as he showed during the, um, the Freedom Convoy, hugely interested. Uh, hugely interested in the Busty Lemieux saga, if you can imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and thank goodness for that, because there's, there are not many Americans that are. Secondly, thank goodness that blackface's trained seals are having a conniption because in the department of um, 
no publicity is bad publicity. This is going to just drive more eyeballs to that podcast. People are going to say, oh, my goodness. Even people who have never heard of Tucker Carlson are probably going to say, oh, I got to see this. Why is this man so evil? Why is he so wicked? And so keep it up, guys. Keep it up, Calgary Herald. Keep vilifying uh, this upcoming presentation. You're only going to make the audience bigger than it already is. Well, and, you know, like they're they reveal how stupid they are. Honestly, they say Tucker Carlson advocated for the invasion of Canada. No, he didn't. It was a thought experiment where he said if another country wherein the leader of it weren't a progressive um, icon, if you are on the left, as Justin Trudeau is, he said like it was a thought experiment, like if let's say um, somebody some somebody in Brazil was uh, locking up pastors, closing churches, um, freezing the bank accounts of peaceful protesters, imprisoning the leaders of an anti-tyranny um, yeah. movement for 50 plus days, doing all the things that just imposing onerous taxes, these restrictions on the internet, these re- restrictions on news, these restrictions on free speech. If that were happening in, let's say, a right-wing government in South America, there would be musings within the American government that maybe we should have a little bit of a CIA coup down there. And nobody was nobody was even talking about how, what, how bad it is in Canada because Justin Trudeau is one of theirs, theirs being the progressives. And that was the thing. And the media, right over their head. Because they're bought and paid for by the same tyrant that that Tucker was talking about. You're absolutely bang on. And also the fact that Tucker Carlson was, you know, joking. I mean, does he have to hold up a little checkered flag to indicate this is a uh, Humorless, humorless Uh, people. But before we break uh, for our first ad break, Sheila, I am going to go on the record yet again, because I know there's many Canadians buggering out of uh, Blackface's Canada and going to places like Mexico and particularly uh, Costa Rica. Uh, I'm going to state maybe for the fourth or fifth time that I think, um, yeah, Costa Rica is ripe for invasion. They have no army, no navy, no air force. <laughs> Even with our depleted Canadian armed forces, I think we can take them, Sheila. Make it the 11th province. We don't have to worry about a passport. It'll the Costa Ricans are going to be boycotting us now. <laughs> I know. Great. Costa Ricans, don't send me letters. He's joking, I think. <laughs> Not really. But anyways, let's break for our first ad. <laughs> yeah. David Menzies for Rebel News here in downtown Toronto. And I got to tell you, folks, next March, March 23rd to 30th, to be precise, we are going on a Caribbean cruise. Can you imagine that? And a lot of your favorite rebels will be there, such as Sheila Gunn-Reeds. We got Alexa Lavoie, the big boss man himself. Of course, he'll be there, Ezra Levant. And how about this? How about this for the cherry on the Sunday? Tamara Leach, Canada's number one freedom fighter. She'll be on that boat, too. And look at the itinerary. We're going to be going to Half Moon Cay in the Bahamas. And then we're going to jazz it up in Oco Rios, Jamaica. And then there's Georgetown in the Cayman Islands. And finally, Cozumel, Mexico. Can you imagine that? If you want more details in terms of getting aboard the ship, go to rebelnewscruise.com. That's rebelnewscruise.com. 
all the details are there, the departure dates, the costs, and you know what? This is not just a fun-filled getaway. This is a way in which Rebel News raises some revenue. Unlike the mainstream media, we don't receive a nickel of government funding, nor would we take it if ever offered. So it's win-win. Enjoy yourself in the Caribbean and Mexico, and also support your favorite online news channel. So that's rebelnewscruise.com. I hope to see you aboard. Come on out November 25th. It's all aboard the Freedom Train in Niagara-on-the-Lake. You can check Rebel News for updates and also the Freedom Passport site. Tamara Leach, who led the Truckers Convoy, will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists. Like the Chops Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus New World Sun, just off a European tour, and the legendary R&B master, Leroy Emanuel. Get on the Freedom Train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara-on-the-Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The Freedom Train is coming. Know your rights. Know your freedoms. Oh, Sheila, this oh. year, forget about Christmas. I'm counting down the days of the Freedom Train concert on November 25th in uh, Niagara-on-the-Lake. And, of course, that Rebel News cruise. Sheila, I've already packed the tanning butter. What do you think about that? We're trying to sell tickets. How dare you? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I know we have a lot in this next segment, so let's weed out a couple of let, – let, like, let's talk. The three things that I really want to talk about are um, the uh, insurrection happening on Parliament Hill yesterday. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Doug, Doug Ford <laughs> coming to life. You know, I always think that's newsworthy. And uh, the last one on there um, about the AP – and Reuters photojournalists, uh, that's gross. Um, as this news broke yesterday, Key, I was with Kian Simone, and we were talking about what what we would have done um, if we became privy to that sort of news. Um, anyways, we'll talk about that in a second, but let's uh, talk about this first uh, story. I think we've got um, a, a video on it too. But yesterday... These anti-Israel protesters continue to do all the things the convoy was accused of but never doing. And um, yesterday, they blocked entries to parking lots at Wellington and Bank, Kent and Leon. Yes. And, and uh, so that MPs and parliamentary staff couldn't get to work. Um, and this is all part of their... Um, they call it the Palestinian youth movement, um, but really it's the anti-Israel calls to genocide movement. And apparently because uh, MPs, by and large, although some of them not as strongly enough, have said that they support Israel now, they apparently they're not allowed to go to work. And normally I'm all for politicians not going to work. <laughs> like the less they're at work. Did the anyone better. notice? <laughs> yeah. Like, would you, would you tangibly notice if the government shut down tomorrow? Um, but uh, for me, it's the dichotomy. There seems to be no action taking, taken against these disruptive hate rallies. Um, they're doing all the things the convoy was accused of doing, but the convoy never actually did. 
And yet the politicians are taking a completely hands-off approach. Well, Sheila, one of the demands is that the Canadian government uh, demand a ceasefire in the region. And that's, mm. uh, and by the way, they never incorporate the release of the more than 220 odd hostages. 240, some, 240, two, apparently. You. 240, some of whom are Canadians. Um, th that's not part of, and I, as far as I'm concerned, you cannot talk about a ceasefire no. until those hostages are released. That's the first thing. Secondly, the narrative with the pro Hamas types is the disproportionate amount of death. And when you look at the numbers, um, 1,400 uh, Israelis were massacred on October 7th. And if you can believe the Gaza Ministry of Health, and uh, that's a big ask, uh, 10,000 uh, Palestinians in the Gaza Strip have died since Israel went in. Now, yeah, 10,000 is a bigger number than 1,400, but is that, you know, what I'll call new Palestinian math? I go back, Sheila, to 2006, Galad Shalat, an IDF soldier, was kidnapped. He was held for more than five years, finally yeah. released in 2011. And what were the terms of that? Well, it turns out that one IDF soldier's life is worth 1,027 Palestinian prisoner's life. So I got out my little Texas Instruments calculator from back in the high school days, still working, and uh, I multiplied um, 10,000 by 1,027. So to have a proportionate uh, death amount, it would be 1,400 Israelis and 1,437,800 Palestinians. Hey, uh, don't blame me, folks. That's, that's what the Palestinians called for back in 2011. 1,027 to 1. So going by that ratio, Israel has a long, long, long way to go before we're talking disproportionate. Not only that, the problem with the deaths of Palestinian civilians hangs squarely around the neck of the Hamas leadership. Correct. They know that dead Palestinian civilians is a public relations win for them, yep. which is why they tell the Palestinians to stay where they are, even though the Israeli government is sending text messages into Gaza, telling them where they're going to strike and telling them to go south. And the, the Hamas government says, stay where you are. Why? Because it is a public relations win um, when you see death and destruction in Gaza. Um, and it, it's also the reason why they put their weapons caches under schools, under hospitals, under churches, under mosques, um, because Hamas loves a good human shield. They know the rest of the world is outraged at civilian deaths. I just wish, wish Hamas was as outraged at civilian deaths instead of cheering for them because of the public relations win. Oh, on the contrary, there's even a name for that strategy, Sheila. It's called the CNN moment, meaning when there's collateral damage and say mm -hmm. a Palestinian child is killed tragically, 
and you have the mother or father or grandfather or grandmother holding the dead child in their arms weeping, uh, get CNN to televise that. That's your CNN uh, moment in terms of crimes against humanity, in terms of uh, is Israel acting as a genocidal state, and so on and so forth. But you're absolutely right. Uh, they are using their own people as human shields. That is undeniable. And uh, yeah. there's this little matter of the 240 hostages before you talk about any kind of real ceasefire. I understand Israel has agreed to four-hour windows per day um, at the request of uh, President Biden. Um, but until we're talking about an actual tangible permanent ceasefire, you have to release those hostages. And not only are the hostages being released, not only are these pro-Hamas demonstrators we see all over the Western world demanding the release of the hostages, which would, I think, curry favor with most reasonable people, they are tearing down posters of those yeah. hostages that are being held by Hamas. And we're talking women, children, seniors, Holocaust survivors. Somehow yeah. a poster saying, bring this person back is a trigger, is propaganda, is inflammatory. Are you kidding me? No, that they won't even allow uh, th that communication to exist, Sheila, let alone demand those hostages be released. So I'm sorry, I'm not on team barbarism. I'm a big fan of civilization, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, I got a real tough time listening to people prattle on about civilians while babies are being held in Gaza. Um, yep. Those babies are civilians too. Yep. Um, and, and, uh, they deserve to be home. And until such time, there should be no talk of a ceasefire until all 240 plus hostages are back home. Um, let's bump ahead to Doug Ford. Okay. A moment of conservatism. We should stop and pause and reflect on this. Uh, a video from Doug Ford. Friends, if you wouldn't mind. some of these rallies, and this is where I get in trouble when I go off my speech, my, my team's probably going, well, you see these, I call them hate rallies, going down our streets trying to intimidate our Jewish communities, and they are hate rallies. When you're flying the Hamas flag, that's hate. That is a form of hatred. And as I, as I always say, I don't direct the police, and I never will direct the police, but that is a form of hate speech. Well, you know what, Sheila? Um, there was one profound soundbite in that, which I don't think many people will pick up on. And that was his reference to my team, you know, being concerned about uh, the premier going off the script, because that's how Doug Ford rolls, folks. Uh, there is this team behind the scenes that leads the premier around like a circus donkey. So I want to give credit where credit is due. He's speaking out against this anti-Semitism. And he's also not couching it. You notice, Sheila, even if it's pro-Hamas demonstrators targeting a Jewish business, 
we get the likes of blackface coming out to contemn uh, anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Wait a minute, where's the Islamophobia in the Islamic mob uh, trying to put a Jewish business uh, out of business? But they have to couch it that way. But uh, like I said, Sheila, uh, when Premier Ford mentioned his team getting nervous behind the scenes, that tells you all you need to know Indeed. about how Doug Ford has governed this province since he became premier, including the fact, yeah, remember, Doug, in September 2017, you suggested a rebel news show. I was going to be the host and you were going to come on every week. And then when you finally met me again, because you stopped returning my calls and my texts, uh, you, and that was November of 2017, uh, Doug Ford said to me face to face, Sheila, if it was up to me, Dave, I would do it this Sunday. But it's the team, you see. The team won't let me. That's what makes Doug Ford different from Rob Ford. But thank goodness, uh, at least once, he went off the script. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm happy that the team is rattled by that very <laughs> vanilla statement yeah. from Doug Ford saying, yeah, calls to genocide on the streets of Ontario. Uh, bad idea. We don't like that. That's like, like, that's how vanilla he was. And yet Doug Ford's unelected team that you can never hold to account, this shadow government in his office, uh, they might be irritated by it. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Let's, uh, let's move ahead to this last thing, because I saw this yesterday. And it makes perfect sense. But I was completely appalled. And I was kind of uh, disappointed in myself that I hadn't put together um, what we had seen oh, yes. from the very beginning. This came from Honest Reporting, um, whose job it is, by and large, to correct the lies about Israel. Um, it seems to me that they do a lot of work on the CBC ombudsman, and they get a lot of victories, actually. Oh, yes, they do. Um, they do. Um, if you're not... Um, uh, following honest reporting, I suggest you do. They send an email out every couple of days just so you can know just how flawed the CBC's reporting on this one issue is. But uh, AP and Reuters, photojournalists accused of participating in October 7th terror attack. These individuals captured images of a burning Israeli tank and the kidnapping of Israelis, with some even entering Israeli kibbutzim, so those are the, uh, the large-scale collective farms. Questions arise about whether they maintained their journalistic roles or crossed a line in participating in the event they were covering. I saw some images of just how close they were to Israeli women being kidnapped, and they're just standing there taking pictures. I don't know. I'm a journalist. I don't think I could do it. And it sounds like they had advanced knowledge of what was going to happen, and they, it sounds like they knew that there would be kidnapping of Israeli women and children. And uh, I guess they made the uh, moral decision that they will have to live with to do nothing except get images that they could then sell to line their pockets. You know what, Sheila? Um, my old journalism Look professors at this. who have passed on are... 
likely rolling in their graves about this. Uh, back when, you know, I think um, Ezra's mentioned, I'm the only guy in the company that has actually a journalism degree. Don't hold it against me, folks. What I, sure uh, not to. When I was at uh, journalism school at Ryerson or whatever the hell they call the place now, because uh, Ryerson's politically incorrect, uh, that would be the early 80s. Um, it was a far more normal world back then. And there was an entire module, Sheila, on ethics in journalism, as well there should be. And some are obvious. You can't take money from a source because your objectivity is gone. You've been bought and paid for. Oh, boy, has that train left the station, <laughs> given that blackface is basically funding almost every journalist in Canada right now. But this, Sheila... This couldn't even be imagined by early 80s standards. The idea of journalists becoming embedded with terrorists carrying out murder, rape, arson, kidnapping. I mean, it's off the charts. It, it, it's unbelievable. And isn't that a journalist getting kissed by one of the Hamas guys? That picture right yeah. there? So let's roll back up so we can show the full tweet here. Um Okay. This is in the hours following our expose, new material is still coming to light concerning Gazan freelance journalist Hassan Azlaya, whom both the Associated Press and CNN used on October 7th. Here he is pictured with Hamas leader and mastermind of the October 7th massacre, Yaha Sinwar. Yeah, you know what? You're not really a freelance journalist. You are a full-time terrorist with Hamas. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend Look CBC types. Uh, you're, a full -time, <laughs> you're a full-time uh, militant. Part -time okay, let's journalist. read the caption there. No, he's a press secretary for Hamas. Um, <laughs> here he is. This is him beside a burning Israeli tank saying everybody who were inside this tank were kidnapped. Everybody who were inside the tank were kidnapped a short term or short while ago by Al-Qassam brigades, as we have seen with our own eyes. Uh, Reuters photographers. Oh, more photos he took in Kafar as a showed Hamas terrorists trying to breach the kibbutz's fence. Reuters photographers Mohammed Fak Abu Mustafa and Yasser Kadi also captured scenes from the Hamas infiltration, including a lynching. Despite graphic content warnings, these images were distributed as part of Reuters' images of the day, prompting scrutiny over the decision to feature such violent content. They were buying images from freelance journalists, let's call them press secretaries for Hamas, uh, who were there as I guess as documentarians on behalf of Hamas, like, look at this. This isn't like, I understand seeing images that Hamas live streamed themselves and then taking stills from that. We saw so much of that um, because Hamas was taking the phones of their kidnapped victims and then streaming their own kidnappings back out onto Facebook to horrify and terrorize the families. This is different. These are journalists who knew what was going to happen. Journalists. I'm not sure we would call them that. Maybe we do. Maybe we do. I mean, um, I, I guess they are. Um, but CNN and AP and Reuters, they didn't have any uh, qualms about collaborating and working with these journal journalists who had advanced warning, obviously, 
of these attacks because you just don't end up in the right place at the right time. This isn't like kismet. Uh, they knew it was going to happen. They knew where they should be and they didn't do anything about it. They knew that there was going to be a large scale massacre of Israeli civilians and they did nothing. And then the fruits of their knowledge, the images they took, they lined their pockets with money by selling it to unethical agencies like CNN, AP, and Reuters. You know what's amazing, Sheila, and uh, in some regards uh, perversely ironic, is that the Nazis tried to hide their atrocities. I mean, the death camps weren't even located in Germany, for goodness sakes. These cats brag about it. They post it on social media. They go, look at us, look at us, look what we did, you know. And as far as that journalist uh, showing the tank on fire and that all of the occupants are now hostages, I guess that makes him a good guy. At least the IDF soldiers were not incinerated in the tank. I guess, is that the message we're supposed to uh, take from that? And I'm sure they're being treated very nicely as hostages uh, in the hands of uh, Hamas in Gaza. It is despicable. It is beyond an ethical breach. And um, you can't even call these people journalists. They, they are co-conspirators. They are participants yeah. in atrocities. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, I just, I can't even imagine, you know that there's going to be a large scale massacre of civilians. And you say, tell me where and when, Yeah. so I can get the images. Uh, as I said, I was with Kean. Yesterday, when we sort of found out about this, we were on a special mission in um, downtown Edmonton where social decay is rampant. And uh, I just we were sort of looking at our phones as the news broke and we thought, like, uh, how do you how do you have that knowledge just as a human being and do nothing with it except think this is how my photos end up on CNN? No, uh, I'm not sure if you meant human being or inhumane being, mm-hmm. uh, because that's what we're witnessing. And uh, again, the supporters of these people yeah. that we see every weekend in so many uh, cities in the Western world uh, doing their chants, whether it's from the river to the sea, whether it's what they were saying in uh, Sydney a few weeks ago, gas the Jews. I don't think there's any nuance there, folks. I think you know no. that's a pretty definite statement. And again, um, this idea that the photographs of hostages, some of whom are children and Holocaust victims, uh, is a trigger point, is a flashpoint. And they those posters have to be torn down, especially on university campuses. Uh, Sheila, sometimes i got to pinch myself. Am I in Toronto of 2023 or uh, Berlin 1938? Yeah, you know what? You Sorry, my Skype feed is falling apart, but I suppose you get what you pay for. Um, But in like the Nazis did their best to dehumanize the victims of the Holocaust. They made it mechanized, right? These were not human beings. They were just... um, worthy of extermination what's happening with hamas is exactly the opposite actually they are they are going after the israelis specifically because they are human beings and because the israelis value life that they knew their actions would be so horrific to everybody else 
of sound mind looking in on what was happening. It was completely the opposite with the Nazis. They made sure that the, the Jews were systematically dehumanized for years and years and years. And then it, it was a mechanized extermination. This is something much different. This is, um, you know, you're attacking the Jews at their most base level, their children, their future, their life, right? Um, it's, it. I don't know. It's just that, that all of it fantastic- is profoundly evil. That's a fantastic observation, Sheila. And also, if you go back to the Second World War, I don't recall rallies in uh, allied nations breaking out that were pro-Nazi. Uh, I don't think a single one uh, of yeah, that. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. We didn't have people saying, what about the civilians of Dresden? Yeah. No one was saying that. They're saying the civilians of Dresden, that's the Fuhrer's problem. That's yeah. not our problem. Yeah. Um, but now I, I guess this is, this is, uh, society in 2023. Um, Olivia, we should hit, can, do we have last time, la, uh, time for a quick ad break? Can we go a little extra? Cause I want to talk about Justin Trudeau, um, staying up to date on his healthcare. <laughs> yes, we can do that. Hey, Ben Shapiro here. This November, the Wilberforce Project is bringing me to Canada. If you want to fight the woke machine destroying families, join me in Calgary for my talk, hosted by the Wilberforce Project. Go to benshapirolive.ca for info and tickets. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The wellness company's Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you-know-what. Go to twc.health rebel today. Sheila, how come Drea gets to advertise those wellness tablets? What about me? Am I not... Uh... A well the picture of health. <laughs> the, the picture of health. Um, <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> I'm not saying anything, David. You look great for your age. Um, we, uh, <laughs> we should go to this story of Justin Trudeau. I know. I know. As soon as I saw it, I was like, Lil Tamara is all over this. Uh, Tamara Ugolini. <laughs> Like white on rice, I knew that she would be up one side of this and down the other. Um, Let's go to this tweet from Justin Trudeau. Got my COVID-19 booster and flu shot this morning. You should get yours too. To find out why, how, and where you can get your shots, click here. And then uh, his shirt. What is it? Vaccines cause adults. And then Tamara, I think, tweeted... I tweeted something like on the back, it says to have um, vaccine injuries or something or blood clots or, or something like that on the back. Um, but imagine being someone who has experienced a catastrophic vaccine yes. injury and you are seeing Justin Trudeau wear a shirt like that that mocks you because that feels very mocking yep. to people who are skeptical or who tried to do their civic duty according to the propaganda that was shoved down their throats for the longest time, or maybe took a vaccine against unemployment or catastrophic loneliness and isolation. And you ended up with a vaccine injury. And here's your prime minister who's had COVID, I don't know, 
11 times. Whenever somebody looks at him wrong, he gets COVID and has to go away and play Xbox and sit in his underpants for three weeks, um, mocking you with this shirt like you're some kind of idiot. You know what gets me, Sheila? Maybe this speaks to how staged this is. Um, how did Blackface find perhaps the only clinic in Canada where he didn't have to wear a face diaper and the uh, person giving him the jab didn't have to wear a face diaper? I understand those rules are still firmly in effect. So, you know, I'm I'm struggling with the mixed messages here. Can I now go to a clinic and say, well, my prime minister blackface didn't wear a face diaper, so I don't have to wear it. And you can take yours off too, doc or nurse or what have you. And uh, you're absolutely right about that uh, shirt. That's indirectly or maybe even directly mocking those who received vaccine injuries. And um, the third thing, there was a third thing, and it was quite profound, and I've already forgotten it. But uh, and that's oh, yes, why you're not doing the wellness ads. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, maybe Biden I need the moments. <laughs> I need brain boosters. <laughs> no, I just thought of it. Um, I think the great rebuttal was um, when he started off his uh, tweet by saying, uh, uh, "Went out this morning to get my uh, vaccine booster." I think the proper rebuttal is, "Oh, so you're the one?" Because you know, it's interesting, Sheila. Even amongst the vaxxed and double vaxxed and double boosted people, I understand this latest booster is going over like a Led Zeppelin. Uh, there is such little pickup, even by the people that, you know, last year and the year before did get vaccinated. What does that say? Maybe people are waking up a little? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, how could you not, considering regardless of the number of boosters and vaccines for COVID that you got, you still got COVID. <laughs> At some point, people come to their senses. And I'm seeing this all the time on my own Facebook page where people who are like, just shut up and get vaccinated. And then you see them like reporting how they uh, had COVID once, twice, three times a lady getting COVID. And then uh, all of a sudden they're like, yeah, this was just a big scam and we were in lockdown for no reason. And, and so, yeah, of course, people, this new vaccine, they don't they don't care about it because um, it, it's just, it's not doing, even for the people who are true believers, it's not doing what the government said it would do. It, 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 it's egregious, Sheila. And, you know, the other day I was just talking uh, to a friend of Lady Menzoids. I won't give her name, but she was working for Shoppers Drug Mart and it was a requirement. You had to get double vax. And she was absolutely aghast at that. But she is a single mother with bills to pay and somewhat of a debt. So she did it. And within a few months, you know what happened? She got laid off. And she mm -hmm. has told me she has never been the same and that this is the biggest regret of her life, that even with the financial stipulations, she should have held her ground, gotten fired, find a job somewhere else where this wasn't a, uh, a stipulation. And it's lose-lose for her. I, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. 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 And, and even, it, I mean, she took it to... Uh, prevent unemployment and she became unemployed anyway yep. and she probably got covid too yep. oh. <laughs> and at the very least she probably got covid too uh, sheila you are a psychic as you speak 
She is suffering her second bout of COVID. Hand up to God. I'm not making this up. So yeah, it really worked, uh, didn't it? But I guess yeah. we really can't talk too much about that without making some people triggered. <laughs> Including YouTube. Yes. Um, so let's get to the last few, uh, few of these chats um, while my Skype feed continues to fall apart. Um, we've got one from Fraser McBurney. He's a fight defines recidivist who just loves his cap locks. I don't know if he's enthusiastic <laughs> or yelling, um, but uh, Fraser was one of our uh, Fight the Fines clients, and uh, we're happy to help him uh, resolve all of his tickets. Um, Fraser McBurney gives us five bucks. Yesterday, when I went to the store, I passed three pot shops selling their poison. The little park had four tents in it. There was a homeless person at the store. Of course, I helped. What has Canada come to? Well, Fraser, friend, stay tuned because that was part of... Uh, our special mission yesterday, uh, why I was in Edmonton. As many regular viewers know, I avoid the city of Edmonton like the plague. I think we should build a fence around it like District 9 and airlift cat food into it like they did for those aliens in that movie. Uh, evacuate all the good people out um, to the suburbs. And if you are, if you love Rachel Notley, you just stay put. Um, and the city of Edmonton entirely failed its residents through its uh, opioid response policy and uh, the province had to step in and go over and above the city to deal with it, to bring uh, some semblance of safety back to the public transit system after uh, an ice pick attack by a meth head seemed to be the breaking point for everybody involved. And uh, so we were out there documenting that and telling the story of how uh, the city's failures, including what, seems to have begun with a defund the police movement to the tune of $11 million being cut from the policing budget led to just um, attacks and danger in our light rail transit system. But things are getting better, I'm happy to say. I can hardly wait to see a report, uh, Sheila. But to Fraser's point, and uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not going pro or anti-marijuana. Personally, I've never had marijuana. I've never even had a cigarette. Me neither. Uh, you know, I, I don't feel the need for it. But I want to say something about, I, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the provinces in our Dominion, Sheila, but I know in Ontario, and this is an issue, this is a problem, and I'm, I am predicting it's going to end badly one day. You have to, if you have a pot shop, you have to have like, you know, hazed glass or it has yep. to be papered over. And sometimes you will have, for example, one female staff member working there. And if there's, say, an armed robbery going on or a physical beatdown, nobody, no passersby can see that. Now, this is ostensibly the reason is we don't want kids to look through the window and see all this weed. Well, I mean, what is weed? It's it just like, as the name says, weed. It could be dandelion weeds for that matter. Why is it mandatory for pot shops to have this, you know, cloak on their windows, whereas the government-run Liquor Control Board of Ontario stores, Sheila, bright glass, posters encouraging you to buy more, even though it's all about control and moderation. Um, a child can see a bottle of scotch or a case of beer or a bottle of wine. So why is it different with pot? And I'm telling you, Sheila, I, this is a disaster waiting to happen. I know people in that industry want those rules relaxed, but they're not being listened to. Well, we did relax them in Alberta. Um, 
about mm. a year and a bit ago, 15 months ago. Same problem. Mm. Uh, they had to have, uh, you, you couldn't be able to see into the store, yeah. which seems like a, a terrible idea. Yeah. And we had a wave of robberies of these pot stores because, yeah, uh, uh, the government was mandating uh, that uh, you make it easier to be robbed. <laughs> and to make sure that nobody um, would ever see you being robbed. So, um, and that was a sort of a notly imposed rule on these cannabis stores. And in Alberta, we have a completely uh, privatized liquor system. So good for us. Um, and they, they made it uh, equal with the liquor stores and the beer stores so that um, they are no longer mandated to have these like hazed or blocked windows uh, because it was just like nonstop, a spate of robberies. And uh, thankfully the UCP government removed that regulation. Oh, so that was Premier Smith that was responsible for that. It wasn't uh, before Notley. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not quite, I forget. So 2022 would have been Smith. Yeah. Okay. Um, Another reason to love in, her. <laughs> you know, yeah. Common She's sense. She's pro-public safety. Yeah. Common sense, public safety. Yeah. Um, let's keep going. We've got uh, one from AMT, 65 bucks. I'm in Ontario on a pension, in other debt, and mortgage renews June 2024. Anxious if I can renew a mortgage next year, I keep my thermostat at 68, wear sweaters, drive a 17-year-old car. Are homes in Alberta cheaper? You better believe it. You, you absolutely better believe. You can get yourself, I bet you, a beautiful McMansion in the suburbs with a large backyard for whatever you're paying for your Ontario mortgage right now. For sure. My heart, Sheila, goes out uh, to AMP, to anyone whose mortgages are coming due in 2024 i would even argue 2025 we don't have a crystal ball it's an eternity away i just can't see things getting better under the blackface regime and he's going to rag the puck i think until october 2025 unless there's a palace coup again i can't see the future but these are horrible times in which there are canadians losing their houses um for no good reason really you know, um, yep. we can, the government can take off these carbon taxes. And I, by that, I mean not just Atlantic Canadians. The government can open up the energy sector. The government can sell liquefied natural gas, two-thirds of a trillion of which the Germans and the Japanese want. Yeah, two-thirds of a trillion with a T. But Blackface says there's no business case uh, for that. Yep. Uh, and we have almost two more years of this garbage. So I, it breaks my heart to think of anyone losing their home. That That is the ultimate insult yeah I, I think the australians are busy selling their lng to the japanese um when it could be us and i know lots of canadians working in the australian natural gas sector um at least you know a few years ago when there was a substantial downturn here in alberta a lot of canadians went to work there in lng and so that they could sell lng to asia but that should be us <laughs> that should be us. Um, also, by the way, maybe Ontario could lift some of their green home restrictions, open up some land for housing development so that you could get some supply on the market to drive those costs down. But also, that seems to be a thing that you don't do in Ontario. Well, unfortunately, Dougie tried to pull a little bit of a fast one that way with the green yeah. belt. And, Couldn't uh... even be. Yeah. <laughs> Why not be? Like, why be crooked about it? Like, just say to them, yeah, we're opening up land for development. Obviously, we need houses. People can't afford to live. But no, he had to be a little bit sneaky about it instead of just being upfront. What comes to mind, Sheila, is uh, 
one of the greatest analysis in terms of how O.J. Simpson literally got away with double homicide, and that was the LAPD framed a guilty man. They don't do that. They don't yeah. monkey around with the forensics and the evidence. Uh, O.J.'s still in jail, but there you go. Uh, we've got another chat from C1CAS. Ten bucks. Well, thanks. Uh, Rachel and her far left Notley crew are so worried about Tucker Carlson that they are NDPing <laughs> themselves. You know, there are going to be so many good sound bites of him dragging the far left, not just in this <laughs> province, but in the entire country. If I were the NDP, I would be worried, too, because I, I cannot wait to hear Tucker's like giggle and his laugh as he makes fun <laughs> of the far left in this province for their obsession about having him canceled um, this last little bit. He's going to show up to a sold out show and mock every single one of you journalists and NDP politicians for being such absolute crybabies. And I can't wait for it. I'm going to slip into that mockery like a hot bath on a cold day. I can't wait for it. Um, Sorry, I just had that image, a hot bath I on a cold day. I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very easily distracted, Sheila. You know, what kills me about the left is their obsession of Fox News and even ex-Fox News employees. And I say this on the basis, as you know, myself and our big boss man, Ezra Levant, uh, we are refugees from the Sun News Network that went under in 2015, uh, a political assassination. The CRTC denied us the license we needed to survive. But before Sun News Network went on the air, folks, so not one program, not one commentary, the left, uh, the likes of, you know, Margaret Atwood, for example, were starting a petition. And the name of the petition was something along the lines of um, prevent Fox News North uh, from getting on the air. And I'm thinking Fox News North, like that's all you got. I consider that a compliment, actually. But yeah. we hadn't even said anything and they didn't want a dissenting opinion on the air. So I'm not surprised they're losing their marbles over Tucker. Yeah. Yeah, I, can, I just I love it so much. I just can't wait to see how badly he makes fun of all of them or how wonderfully he makes fun of all of them. It's going to be wonderful. And they're so simple to not know that that's exactly what he's going to do. Mm. The more they cry, the more he mocks. And I, I just I can't wait. I can't wait. I feel like I haven't been good enough to deserve like, <laughs> how much I'm going to enjoy the mockery of the mainstream media and the NDP by Tucker Carlson when he comes. Okay, let's keep going. Um, this is from Yankee, shares a tweet with us uh, further to something we were previously discussing. It's um, uh, It says that Israel's internal security agency announced that it will eliminate, I like that word, eliminate all participants of the October 7th massacre. The photojournalists who took part in recording the assault will be added to that list. So that's Danny Danon saying that. And Danny is uh, the Israel's 17th permanent representative to the United Nations and a member of the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, and chairman of uh, the World Likud. So um, this isn't just some dude saying this on the internet. This is government saying that, yeah, those photojournalists, you, we consider you participants 
in the homicide of Israeli citizens, and now you're on the list for elimination. I hope, I hope the CNN money was worth it. Yeah, you know, I love the use of quotation marks over the word photojournalist, Sheila, because you're not photojournalist. You're part of the Hamas propaganda department for what you did on yeah. that day. Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood. Um, I think I think that's it. Is that right? Um, okay. Okay. I think we're all caught up and we're uh, 20 minutes over. Sorry, Olivia. And in the meantime, I'm going to try to figure out that metaphor. Was that a hot bath on a cold day or a cold bath on a hot day? I'll be thinking about that all day. But... Stop thinking about it right now, David. Stop it. Okay. But in the meantime, thank you to everybody that tuned in. Thank you to our team of Olivia and Efren behind the boards. Thank you especially to all of you who made a financial donation. That's how we keep the lights on. Uh, tomorrow, it will be the All Alberta team. Are you part of that, Sheila? Yes, you are. And there'll yep. be another Albertan. There Adam, what was that, uh, Olivia? No, false alarm. So it'll be Sheila and <laughs> another uh, rebel news personality in Wild Rose country. In the meantime, as always, stay safe and stay sane. And I can tell you, it is so unfair. Here in Ontario, across Canada, acts of anti-Semitism are on the rise. These hate-related incidents, they're another painful reminder of the work left to do to erase anti-Semitism. That's why yesterday, that's why yesterday Minister Lecce announced that we're making Holocaust education mandatory in grade 10. Thank you.